Am I on? Yeah, there we go. I think, thank you, Jeff. I'm not sure. Um, wow. Um, it is, typically, it takes Annette and me about 30 seconds to walk from our house to our church. This morning, it took us 44 minutes to drive from our house to our church. And we are feeling so at home and so grateful to be with our family. Uh, Before I do anything, I want to introduce to you my wife, Annette, of 43 years. Sweetheart, would you just stand up and let everybody see you? Uh, My mom and dad, Stu and Nancy Masson, are here as well this morning. Thanks, Mom, Dad. I hope to make you proud this morning. It's good to see Katie and Evan this morning. God, it's great to see you guys. And this little one right between you, I do not know yet. Am I a little hot? I feel like I'm... I mean, the temperature's fine. I mean, the microphone. Is it... We're good? Okay. Well, all right. I I hope you have your notes. Um, If you don't, I think they're available electronically. Um, If you're just here to waste an hour, I promise not to be too loud. You can just sleep right through this if you want. But... uh, this morning, uh, we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, my, um, the message is entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? A Case of Missing Identity. You know, it seems today that everybody wants to know um, where they're from. You know, I mean, this, this, all this crazy stuff. Um, uh, if, you, uh, if you look to television... Uh, you have this program called Who Do You Think You Are? It was, has anybody heard of this program, Who Do You Think You Are? I've never, never heard of this. Uh, in England, it started in 2004. To the present, over 150 celebrities have, uh, have been on this, 150 episodes of, you know, where their genealogy is. They're celebrities from England and, and uh, the United States, the U.S., of course, as they pick up everything that comes from across the pond in 2010, started doing Who Do You Think You Are, you know, in America. And, uh, you know, England's got talent. America's got talent. England's got garbage. They bring that garbage over to us. We pick up their garbage. Um, but there's also the aspects of, of technology. You know, how many today? I mean, there's so many things. There's uh, myheritage.com, um, ancestry.com, 23andMe. Any of you guys just spitting that little thing and trying to find out who you are? Um, I did, my, my daughter and son-in-law gave me that 23andMe thing, and um, so I, you know, I gave a spit, and, uh, and so, so, um, I, so I did that, found out that, uh, I mean, like, duh, I mean, can I give you a little profile right here? So I'm Italian. Um, do, you, do you want to see it on this side? So I'm Italian, and... Um, so I'm Italian, there's some Slovenian in me as well. Um, but the thing that really messed with me is they said that I also have Neanderthal in me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I thought, you know, I don't know if you've seen a Neanderthal, which is just an ape, but, um, you know, these big brows, and I figured, well, I guess that brow just kind of leached down into my nose, and so... But, you know, nobody wants to go too far with their DNA because it takes you all the way back to Adam, right? That we are DNA directly connected to 
Adam. And we can't get away from that. But in Christ, we are taken out of Adam for good. And we are placed into Christ, no longer subject to that curse that would have kept us eternally separated from God. And that is great news. Well, Jordan mentioned it this morning, uh, but happy Reformation Day to you. Most people in the United States would have no idea what you are talking about. But it was all Hallow's Eve, October 31, 1517, that Martin Luther took a hammer, some nails, and drove his 95 theses into the door of the church at Wittenberg, Germany, which we call Wittenberg, Germany, because of the W, for heaven's sake. Um, and in so doing, he drove a spike into the stronghold of the heresy of works righteousness, the heresy of the practice of buying indulgences to get your sins forgiven or get people on the fast track out of purgatory. Um, and it drove a spike into the stronghold of papal autocracy. And that's important church history. But can you imagine being the one person that stood up against not just the Holy Roman Empire, against nations? You were standing against what everybody believed and was being evangelized to believe was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can only imagine the number of people who were saying, Martin Luther, who do you think you are? Can, can you imagine the pressure, the stress, the threats? What type of boldness, what type of work of God's spirit was taking place in this man to stand against the Christian world? Who do you think you are, Martin Luther? Well, I'm grateful he knew who he was. And I'm grateful who, that he knew who uh, he was representing. Now, they probably didn't say, they didn't say, who do you think you are, Martin Luther, in English. I'm sure they said something like that. In, it was in German. Um, I remember hearing something a long time ago about John Kennedy when he went over to the Iron Curtain and um, he was trying to make this great statement. So this must have been in the early 60s, maybe before. Obviously, he was assassinated in 1963. And he goes over there and he makes this statement. He says, to the people of Berlin, to show a connection to them, ich bin ein Berliner. Which means to some, I am a jelly donut. <laughs> Well, I think this being Halloween, I mean, to talk about sweets would probably be, but he actually, just the word jelly donut in Berliner are, are, are very similar, but um, I mean, the only, the only German I ever learned was watching Hogan's Heroes, so maybe if you're familiar with that. But that was history then, and there is history now, All Hallows' Eve, twenty. Martin Luther was telling the world, God is not who you say he is. 
and that you are not who you think you are. And I think that's important for us to see. So I, today I've got some fill-in-the-blanks for you here. Um, this is an easy one. Who do you think you are? Just insert your name. So if you lose your notes, you can get those notes back. But typically when somebody says, who do you think you are? That's typically accusatory, isn't it? It's, you don't hear, oh, hi, who do you think you are? Um, that's typically something, you've just crossed the line, pal. You're someplace you don't belong. You've said something you shouldn't, shouldn't have said. You're acting like someone you are not. Who do you think you are? But I think we need to be reminded of our reformation day. We need to be reminded indeed of who God says we are. You know, Paul who knew who he was, and he wanted the Corinthians to know who they were. And if he were here today, he would want us to know. And he'd want to know if we know. He would say, who do you think you are this way, as he said it to the Corinthians? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Well, I wrote to you today what my hope and my plan and my prayer is, and I want to read this to you. My prayer is that we leave here today more convinced of whom Christ, by his grace, who he is, and who he has reformed and recreated us to be. I pray that God would give us his spirit of wisdom and revelation, that together we would see what he has done to make us who we are in Christ, for the building up of his church, for his glory, and that accompanying that awesome revelation would be the manifestation of the Holy Spirit-infused humility, gifts, love, and faith to persevere because of who Christ is and what he desires to do in this body of believers, because upon himself, the rock, he will build his church at Christ Community Church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You good with that? I'm good with that. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we stand this morning upon solid rock. I'm so grateful for Matthew and the band and the songs that they led us in this morning. The rock won't move. The rock won't be undone. Thank you, Lord, that you build your church upon yourself, not upon pastors and teachers and evangelists. Grateful for pastors, teachers, and evangelists. It's a part of your plan but they are built upon you. We, each of us, are built upon you. And Lord God, let us know that this morning. Like, maybe like we've never known it before. Maybe we'll leave here today by the revelation you give us. And we will know who by your grace we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question. What is something that we remember that we forget but still remember? Yes, I am here to confuse you. What is something we remember that we forget but still remember? Or something that we are familiar with that we've forgotten? So, and I, but my answer to that would simply be 
Scripture. We remember it, but we forget it, even though we remember it. We've rehearsed it, we've memorized it, but we've known it for so long, all the meaning gets, gets, gets turned over and all the meaning gets shaken out of it, but we still remember it. We still got it memorized. We could, we could win a Scripture sword drill, but it doesn't change my life. They're just words on a page with all the meaning wrung and all the power wrung out of them. So I've, I've brought some Scripture that I remembered and memorized, but so often forget. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Heard this one before? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means no longer in Adam, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We know that's, but how does that scripture affect your day? That changes, you wake up in the morning going, ha, new creation, got this, Jesus, you're in me, I got this, we're going, let's go. Do you start your day thinking about that? I don't, typically. But the power in the completed work of Christ revealed through that scripture could have us humming through the most difficult of days because of Christ in me, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in me, whether I feel like it or not. I've been bought with a price so that I can worship God in my body, this body. But guess what? There's another body that Christ talks about, doesn't he? In the collective body as well. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, that's for us, so that we would no longer be in Adam, but in Christ. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, never sinned, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you walk around? We can talk about this a little bit more. Going, Hey, righteousness of God. You're looking at the righteousness of God. Hmm. Any of you ever do that? Ever look in the mirror and go, Righteousness of God. Or do you ever look at somebody else who knows Christ and go, Ed Miltenberger, righteousness of God. Big righteousness of God. We do that. Well, I mean, I, do, we, do we forget what we remember? Hebrews 4.12, I haven't given you the scripture, but you know this scripture. The word of God, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts, the what you do, and the intentions, the why you do what you do of the heart. That's what the word of God does. What is it? It is living, it is active, and the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, has been placed into us so that we can live the word. And who is the word? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now the Word dwells in flesh among us. Do you think much about that? Who do you think you are? 
pull my glasses out again for this. But I had to write this down. We forget individually who we are as new creations in Christ and forget as well who we are collectively as a church in Christ. The result, we don't live as whom we are as new creations in Christ, either individually or as a church. And often because we don't remind ourselves and one another of these truths as Scripture teaches. The result, therefore, is that we become anesthetized to these Scriptures that we have memorized in our head. But the knowledge of Scripture without application is powerless against the wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We walk around as if dressed for a Halloween party and not dress for the spiritual battle, the deadly spiritual battle we are in for ourselves, our families, our church, and for the lost. So I want to introduce you now a Frankenstein formula for Reformation nightmares. Okay, I've given you some blanks here. Isn't this fun? You get to write, you know. Typically, you give your pen to the kids, keep them attention. I'm going to glitch you. Okay, Scripture memorization, that's the first blank, Scripture memorization minus obedient, Holy Spirit-led, obedient application equals spiritual constipation. I'm not trying to be vulgar, it's just true. It happens physically, you eat too much candy today, it's happening. Okay. But if all you and I are about doing is reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible, John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, you may want to just make a little note of that. This is what Jesus tells the most learned people in the Bible of the, of, of the time, in the first century, scribes and Pharisees. He says to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they which speak of me. But you will not come to me so that you may have life. You've built your life around words. But the words are there to lead you to the word who has led you to himself and then who fills you and makes you a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. God, what a price. And God, what a work. And God, what a church. And it's all by his doing. See, the side effects of spiritual constipation, let's just call it SC, okay? <laughs> spiritual effects of SC are spiritual lethargy. Now, maybe you're experiencing some of these right now. And I, I know my, my cousin Goo is a doctor, so maybe if, she could, if we need her help here, spiritual lethargy, toxic thoughts and words. Bits of anger and depression, vertigo, that just be confusion, uh, amnesia, that's a good one. I forgot to put that one in there. I think amnesia is a good one. Pride, and other moments of unreformed actions as if still in Adam. Warning, SC can be highly infectious. Repent and confess as quickly as possible, ingesting high dosages of Holy Spirit potent scripture to restore your memory of who you are. Sometimes quarantine may be necessary. But it's good quarantine. It's 
getting alone with dad. So Simon says, Simon Peter, we're not about to, I'm not going to ask you to stand up here. Simon says, there is a means of curing SC. Uh, and and it, 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 I'm, I'm familiar with something called a compounding pharmacy. They take different medications and they kind of blend them together. Well, what I'm about to do is take scripture and blend it together. But before I do that, do you know what the number one Halloween candy is according to candy? Uh, I can't remember, candysomething.com. Candy corn, that would be number 10. I know. Reese's peanut butter cups. Some said Snickers. I heard Snickers the other day, so I checked it out and said, nope, they were fake news. It is not. I love Butterfingers, but Reese's peanut butter cups. So you get this blending of chocolate and peanut butter, and it is awesome if you like peanut butter. I love peanut butter. Um, I don't know if they've gone to the dark chocolate yet, but they need to go to the dark side with that. Um, so so we're going to just do a little compounding pharmacy here of two powerful scriptures. So I want you to hang with me. I'm going, I, I'm going to take 1 Peter 2, pardon me, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, and 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, and we're going to blend them. Okay? So hang with me. I've put, wrote it in your notes. It's not up on the screen. But I want us to hear this together. God, let us hear this together. Put away, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Those things have nothing to do with who Christ has made you. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, your individual body and this corporate body. If indeed... You have tasted that the Lord is good. And you come to him, him, the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He is the rock, the stone. You yourselves, okay? He's the living stone. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So worship God in your body and in this body to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Why will he not be put to shame? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, those who are still in Adam, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you, can I say it again? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price so that, wow, I get to glorify God in my body. Anybody else get to do that? Who else in the world gets to glorify God in their body but the church of Jesus Christ? Hey, do you know who you are? I so easily forget. Okay, where did I stop? Okay, thank you. But you, we'll skip the first Corinthians, are a chosen generation. You want to know who you are? I didn't ask what you feel like you are. I'm saying, do you want to know who God says you are? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me stop there. You may proclaim the excellencies of him to yourself, to the church, to the lost, to heaven and to hell itself. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Why? Because we were in Adam. We weren't the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our spirits were dead, separated from God, hell-bound. But now, you are God's people. You've been rescued. You've been taken out of Adam's race. You've been placed into Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. From God, you're no longer your own. We get to glorify God in our bodies. Wow. Once you had not received mercy. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when you were merciless? I think we need to remember that. Some of us have been christened for just too long. Just forgotten. But now, you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles Honorable, because, last time, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who is from God. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Get to glorify God in your body. Whoa! Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, has anybody ever done that? If they haven't, they will. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, living stones function like living stones when fitted together with other living stones. That's what we do. We're living because we're placed upon the life of Christ. That makes us alive. 
We are plugged in, if you will, to the power source. And the power is there as we are setting, as, as we are set in Christ with one another. Living stones function like living stones when fitted together with other living stones. Living stones who know they are living stones don't act like pet rocks or blockheads. They are living like their chief cornerstone. They are living the truth of who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. Living stones are. Do I have any living stones in here today? Yeah. Every one of you, if you are in Christ, you are a living stone connected to the chief cornerstone, connected together, one with him and one another. Living stones are a chosen generation. Again, you've been chosen by God. It used to be really cool when I was a little kid, and we'd pick teams. Remember that? You'd pick teams. You know, you had one team over here, one team over here. And, I mean, many times I was picked last. But I got picked. Well, here's the thing. God says, Matt, my team. Denny, my team. Kaki, my team. Now, if we got all excited about being picked for some little stupid team, we don't even remember who the kids are or what we were doing, God says, my team, chosen by God. A chosen genetic race, if you will, given the DNA Christ placed into me. I mean, Peter's addressing people who have no homes, they are aliens, and he's reminding them that their home is in heaven, it's not on earth. That's what he's trying to make. Hey, you're chosen by God. I know you got nothing here on the planet, but you got God. Don't forget that. So living stones are chosen generation. Grow uh, living stones are a royal priesthood. Now think about this. I know you don't dress up in a robe and put a, th- a crown on. Maybe today some of you will do that. I don't know. Or priest, you know, robe or a tie or something like that. But the Bible says you and I are kings, ladies, queens, and priests. It speaks of the nearness as family and the nearness in communication to God. The royal family has no problem having conversations with the royal family. Why? Because they're family. And what is the job of the priest? To communicate directly with God. I mean, what confidence should that give us as it comes to God? Hebrews 4, 15 says this, 16 says, Let us therefore, now think about this in terms of being a royal priesthood. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore draw near with, you know the word? Confidence, kings and priests, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Confidence, because we've been chosen and we're part of the royal family and we're priests of God. You wake up in the morning and think, chosen, royal, priest. It's typically not the things we think of ourselves. I want to say this, you may find... Find grace to help in time of need. I've started to think, as I've read this many times, 
when the heck am I ever not in a time of need? You ever wonder about that? Then I thought, we are never in greater need than at the times in which we think we have no need. That is the most dangerous place we can find ourselves. We are never in greater need than when we think, got this. Got so much more about it. I want to say about that, but I can't. Living stones are a holy nation. The word hagios, from which the word saint comes from, holy, set apart for God. God says, I've, set, I've chosen you. I've made you my family. You have direct communication with me. You're holy before me, a holy ethnos. You know, right here this morning, again, I know we don't think this way, but God thinks this way. You're a holy nation. You're a holy, the word is also ethnos. You're a holy race of people. People who belong to God. Who have been acquired and purchased by the most precious price. The essential price that had to be paid. So, who does God say you are? Do you agree with his assessment? I mean, this morning, I mean, if we could just attach maybe some kind of lie detector or something like that, how many of us would actually say, yeah, I agree. I mean, my thing would be like this in terms of whether or not, do I agree with God's assessment? Here's the thing. God likes to call us names, just not the ones we usually call ourselves. If I had a dime for every time I call myself an idiot, stupid, um, or, but, and I'm not going to go through all of these right now. I can't. There's no way. I have no idea when I started and no idea when I'm going to stop. But, um, but these are, these are the things that God calls us. Church, hear this. Who do you think you are? I think I am. I believe I am. I know I am who God says I am. Really? Forgiven, glorified, accepted, blameless, beloved, righteous, justified, sanctified, anointed, friend of God, a saved by grace. I left that blank because I don't believe that's God's identification of chosen, royal, priest, holy, I can't find it in the scripture. I'm a son saved by grace. I'm a daughter saved by grace. So let me ask you, since we are that those those words come out of our mouths so quickly, what is your preferred noun? Just waiting to see if you know what I'm doing here. <laughs> what is your preferred noun? Now we have lots of things today about your preferred pronoun. But what is your preferred noun? Is it saint or sinner? Is it righteous or unrighteous? You know the number of times in the New Testament followers of Christ are called sinners? Once. James is really ticked. He has given the church a mouthful about how they're living. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's wanting to let them know who, what they're acting like. Not who they are, but what they're acting like. Do you know how many times in the New Testament an in Christ person 
is called a saint? Ready to fill this one in? At least 61 times. Now, I'm not telling you this so you can just stick out your chest and go, Daggum, right? That's who I am. If you understand this, if you understand, if I understand, I was an enemy. I was a sinner. If I'd have been there, I'd have had the hammer and the nails, and I'd have driven them straight through Jesus' feet and his wrists. I would have. And spit in his face while I was doing it. And you call me forgiven? And you call me blameless? And you call me a saint? There's too much Reformation, prior to Reformation, thinking in us. Church, God doesn't call us. He doesn't call a chosen one. He doesn't call a holy one. He doesn't call a royal one a sinner saved by grace. He just doesn't do it. I mean, honestly, answer this. I feel more comfortable calling myself a than calling myself a because I feel more like a than a. So what is it? Are we saints who often act like sinners or sinners who occasionally act like saints? The world are sinners who constantly or occasionally act like saints. That describes the world, not the church. Who do you think you are? Really? Because who you think you are, oftentimes, who I think I am, is often like I act like I am. And I forget that I am a temple of the Spirit who is in me, whom I have from God, that I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price so that I can glorify Him. There's one time that we see in Scripture, that Paul calls himself chief of sinners. Somebody should have raised their hand. Ah, wait, what about Paul? He says, of sinners, I am chief. And I'm thankful to my friend Carter Featherston. I went to a, let's say I went to a small high school, and I was the high jump champion. And nobody has ever beat my high jump record. Ever. I am still chief of high jumpers at my high school. When Paul goes through his, his resume in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he is talking about how he persecuted the church, stood against God, all those things. And he's saying, of those things, I am chief. He wasn't talking about who he was after coming to know Christ. He still saw himself as the foremost of sinners when it came to what he had done. Nobody beat his record of sinning. Number one in the nation for sinning. But that's not how he identified himself as a follower of Christ with Christ in him. And it humbled him because Paul persecuted the church. Sure, it's hard to do that, but we must remember these things. What does Scripture say? Here's what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, those in Adam, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither shall the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, ready for the verb, 
were some of you, but you were washed, made pure, holy. You were sanctified, set apart from God. You were justified, made righteous legally, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's not to say that we don't still screw up. Do your children screw up ever? They're still your children. They got your DNA in them. They're yours. But God sees us through the lens of Christ as washed, sanctified, justified, righteous because of his doing. And we stand upon the living stone who made us living stones and made us that way. Hebrews 10, 14. <laughs> this is one of my favorite scriptures. For by a single offering, now catch the verb tense here, he has perfected. Some translations say he has made holy. Forever, for all time, those who are being sanctified or being made holy. So do you see what he's saying? He says, he's made you holy, the already, the not yet, and he's still working that out, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Work out your salvation. What God has done within, let it get out. It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. But he, by himself, has made us righteous in Christ. Here's a quote from Andrew Murray. I want to read to you. Of God, I am in Christ, created anew, made a branch of the vine. That's another way of looking at the living stones picture. Made a branch of the vine fitted for fruit bearing. Would to God that believers, believers would cease looking most at their old nature and complaining of their weakness as if God, God called them to what they were unfitted for. Would that they would believingly and joyfully accept the wondrous revelation of how God in uniting them to Christ has made himself chargeable for their spiritual growth and fruitfulness. How sickly hesitancy and sloth would disappear. And under the influence of his might, this mighty motive, with faith in the faithfulness of him who grafted them into Christ, their whole nature would rise to accept and fulfill their glorious destiny. And then he says, take time to meditate and to worship until the light of that comes from the throne of God. From the throne of God has shown into you and you have seen your union to Christ as indeed the work of his almighty father. Wow. Book I highly would recommend to you, Andrew Murray's Abide in Christ. So who we are in Christ was God's idea in the first place. And God's doing as well, 1 Corinthians 1.30. For by his doing are you in Christ, who became for us from God. Okay, here you go in. Who do you think you are? Righteousness sanctification, and redemption, so that he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God, this is humbling, but electrifying. Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That was his idea. You being holy, you being blameless, you being righteous, sanctified, purified. That's his idea. Does God get his way? 
I may fight him. I may be a prodigal, but God gets his way. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You got a will? Yeah, you got a will. But guess who else has a will? God has a will. We sometimes say, well, I got free will. Well, maybe you do. But God's free will trumps your free will every day of the week. How many of us walk around being, let me tell you, I've asked you this earlier, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here now. How many of us walk around being convicted of our righteousness? I, mean, I, I, I spend, maybe you spend a whole lot more days being convicted of my sin. Ah, oh, screwed up again. Ah, screwed up again. Screwed up again. Screwed up again. Screwed up again. You're just a screw up. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're hardly saved. Maybe, maybe you need to pray that prayer to the back of the four spiritual laws again. Maybe you need to do something. But how many of us spend our days being convinced of what we've spent the last, I don't know how long, talking about? Really? How much, time, how much more time do we spend thinking about how much we mess up, have messed up, will mess up, than what God has done to make us right in his sight. I would argue, if you're anything like me, you spend a whole lot more time thinking about what you've done before Christ than what Christ has done in you now and forever. So we got to get trained in righteousness. Well, how does that happen? Get trained in righteousness. Did you know the Bible talks about being trained in righteousness? You don't need to train me about my sins. Thank you very much, but I got that. But I do need to be trained in righteousness. Training is a word of discipline. It's a word of repetition. It's a word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Here's a scripture we know too, that we don't know, that we know. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Hey, we're capitalists. We like profit. Okay? It's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for... Did you ever see this? Training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Whatever you're going through right now in your life individually. Whatever this church is going through corporately. Equipped. By being trained in who you are, not who you're not. Not who you were. Iron sharpening iron. If iron doesn't sharpen iron, iron gets dull and you forget your function and your purpose and your identity. Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment, church, seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Christ Community Church, I think we're always going through a time of training. Some times of training are more obvious than other times of training. Wouldn't you agree? This is a time of training. And it doesn't seem to be joyful. But if we'll be trained by it, 
if you'll be trained by it, it will yield. It will bring forth a harvest of the righteous one in you as a congregation. And you're going to need more room in this place. Not just because of the increased numbers that happen naturally, supernaturally. But because you're going to know who you are and whose you are. And you will ecstatically declare, My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in me, whom I have from God. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And we're, you know what we're doing at Christ Community Church today? We're glorifying God with our bodies. Come join us. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful, I love that word, fruit of righteousness. And I am convinced of this very thing, Paul says. He who began a good work in you nine years ago today. He who began a good work in you will, he will, did, did you hear me say, he will complete it. As you are living stones built upon the living stone, living who you are, he will complete it until the day of Christ. So Christ Community Church, who do you think you are? I pray that you have a better idea because you are in for the spiritual fight of your lives. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. You've got to remember this. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are individually and you are corporately. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So together, worship God Glorify God in your bodies because by His doing you are in Christ Jesus. And together it's living stones resting atop the chief cornerstone, Christ Jesus. And your Almighty Father is in you and He has made you a chosen generation. I mean, I'm looking right now at chosen ones, royal, priests, holy, picked by God. Mm. His own possession. And in knowing and living that, you will, you will indeed put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. It's just going to go away. You will fight the good fight of faith with one another. And you will not act like lay people. There's another word I love. There's no such thing as lay people in the Bible. You're all, did, did, do you see that? There, a chosen generation. Did I miss one? And you are a lay person. Lay people lay off, lay low, and lay around. <laughs> but you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. What do righteous people do? They stand up. They stand together. They stand against. And they stand firm. There is no more powerful body in the universe than the church of the body of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. So church, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. For you are clothed in Christ and you have this treasure. Oh, what a treasure. In earthen vessels. But the surpassing greatness of the power that is seen by the world. 
that is feared by the devil will be of Christ. This one who gave his life for you, to give his life to you, to live his life through you. And he has made you living stones, a temple of the Holy Spirit, to declare how great he he is. Let's pray. Lord, we need to know this. We want to know this truth. You said if we abide in the word, and Jesus, you are the word, and your words are words that speak of you, the word. We will know the truth, the truth about you, the truth about Satan, but we'll know the truth about us and what you have done through your cross. Oh, God, let us not leave here today as we came, but more, more, more convinced of who you are in us and you, who you have made us be, that we would declare the excellencies of you the amazing, infinite mercies and excellencies of you who called the likes of us out of darkness and placed us into your marvelous light and placed Christ by the Holy Spirit into us. For we are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in us from God. We're no longer our own. I'm so, Lord, I don't have the words to thank you for how grateful I am that I am no longer my own. That I've been bought with a price. And I get to glorify you as long as I'm on this planet, in this body. And this church gets to glorify you as long as they are in their bodies. In their body. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, before we go this morning, I, and before we uh, just declare the Great Commission, first, thank you, Jeff, for giving me the privilege of being here with you this morning. Jordan, just appreciate you very much. Um, I wanted us to do this. I wanted us to, we've got just a few minutes just to break up into small groups. You see the last page here. This is kind of a warm-up for Friday night's very important prayer gathering. I've listed several things that you could pray about, but I thought it would be a good idea for the church to be the church and to practice who we are before we walked out of here this morning. Not just heard it, because you know what happens? There's something that happens when you walk out of that back door. It's like a, a filter happens, and what you heard just got gets left in the room. Um, so I thought we could practice. If you've got to go, God bless you if you have to go, certainly. But if you can stay, just, just groups of four or five or six and just come together and let's just take a few minutes just to get a warm-up for Friday night. Can I, I can't encourage you enough, be here Friday night, church. The power of the gospel, right? Uh, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Brother Andrew said, prayer is the battle. It's not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The battle is won on our knees. And so Friday is a very important night in the life of this church. But I pray you're, pr I pray you're praying through 
the week. So let's do this. Let's just stand up, if you would, for a minute. Um, and let's just, you may not know the person you're about to pray with. This may be really awkward for you. Awesome. I love awkward, right? Every, every, um, every comfort zone that you're in right now is a former discomfort zone, right? So just go to this next level of discomfort and grow in who you are. So we'll take a, just a few minutes and then I'll come back up here and I'll lead us in our declaration of Christ's great commission and uh, we can fellowship and then be on our way. So let's be about huddling. <laughs>